Now, Russell and Shaw with Jim Crick live from his own personal cinema. <laughs> <laughs> um, nervous. Uh, you said you listened to some of the podcasts. Uh, which was your favourite one? Um, I like the one with the uh, non-broken dad. He seemed pretty cool. Uh, yeah. like, he's not. He's not cool at all. <laughs> yeah, you think you said that in the pod that you uh, you guys are the once you've come inside, you've become the most embarrassing person in the world, right? Yeah, yeah, I've got that yeah. one. <laughs> How are you, mate? You well? I'm doing very well. Yeah, I'm having a uh, really good time over here in uh, Amsterdam. Uh, it's a bit different to where I was in uh, in Innsbruck, which is a bit was a bit sleepy over there. So here's a bit more hustle and bustle, a bit more of the city life, uh, which is a bit more exciting. I think it's a bit more me. Um, I'm a bit more of a city boy myself, so yeah, it's, uh, the rugby is really, uh, really something. It's uh, good to see so much talent here. Cool. Uh, well, let's let's talk about your journey to how we got to being here today. So you can start from wherever you want. Um, let's end up with today. Okay. Um, so I was uh, always played. Um, amateur rugby when I was from about 14 onwards uh, got to about 25 I think I was and then uh, got an opportunity to start coaching um, in local schools around where I, uh, where I was living at the time in East London so took it up as an opportunity because I was uh, working as a personal trainer so I had a few spare hours in the day I thought I'd get my level one and start doing that and after about a year um, discovered an opportunity to work under the premiership on a project in Brazil. Yeah. And so, uh, to jump at that and I, I got the job. So within a, a month, I was flying to, uh, to live in Brazil for one year and pretty much do the same job as community coaching, but this time in the uh, favelas of Brazil as opposed to uh, the favelas of East London. Nice uh, one. Me some of the best stuff. Yeah, yeah. It was... Um, I mean, what was nice was like the personal development I found. Um, I'd never uh, learned a language in my life. And, you know, we'll, we'll do French at school, but you never really learn it. And we're going to uh, Brazil for a year. No one speaks English. So you've, you've just got to dive in and, and learn. So I managed to learn fluent Portuguese within about six months. Wow. Which was, uh, which was you know, I, I surprised myself really with that. And uh, it was really uh, eye-opening to think that, stuff like that is is possible um so yeah a year in um brazil was good i mean but the the work rate of the the people there is, is pretty slow and i'm quite a i'm quite an active person i like to be getting at it and doing stuff so a year was enough so after a year i felt like i really needed to um to find somewhere else that would keep me a bit busier and you know you should always be careful what you wish for because uh so I put myself online, and within um, this is around Christmas time, and within a month, put your CV online. Yeah, sorry, yeah, I put my CV online, um, looking for. I wanted to get into competitive coaching, so I did on two years of community coaching with kids and stuff. And um, no, like, I just don't think that uh, working with kids is my real forte. I don't think uh, like I've got no kids of my own, so I can't really connect as well with them. I don't think so. I really wanted to work with competitive rugby to really see how. If I could push myself in a competitive arena, yeah. And, um, so I put my CV online, and then um, lucky enough, some guys at uh, Innsbruck Rugby Club in uh, in Austria 
uh, nicknamed the Jewel of the Alps. Uh, they found my CV and uh, thought I'd be a perfect fit. So within a month, I was flying from Brazil. I went home for Christmas and then flew to uh, Austria. And I stayed there for two and a half years, where I was working as a, uh, the first, well, for the whole two and a half years, I was coaching a, a rugby club in Innsbruck, which was a really good, real good uh, place to, say, cut my teeth. Uh, where I, you know, probably made a lot of uh, my early coaching mistakes. And I learned a lot of my uh, early lessons, really. Yeah. Um, it was a great environment because I had like um, just a really young team. It was a student team, but not really connected to university. So we didn't really have the infrastructure or um, any sort of support from the university. But all of our players were students. Right. So a... And then and then what, what happened then? So you're coaching Innsbruck. Anything else? Any like international coaching or anything exciting like that? <laughs> Funny you mentioned that. Uh, after uh, after a year and a half of coaching Innsbruck, the uh, national team uh, saw what I was doing then, uh, decided to give me the job as head coach of the uh, Austrian national team, which uh, I was, you know I, I took out with uh, two hands really, and uh, it was a uh, yeah just a really really surreal experience because uh, I'd gone from coaching community rugby, so just playing games of tag with ten year olds. And within, you know, two years, um, on on an international stage, coaching a being the head coach of a of an international team, which was a which was a steep steep learning curve, but uh, yeah, it was an incredible experience. Nice. We'll probably delve into a bit of the stuff you did over in Austria at some stage, and then. So now you're in Amsterdam. How did that? How did that come about? Yeah. So I did. Um, I did a full season with the uh, Austrian national team. So that was a full sort of European uh, championship season. And I'll, I'll go into more detail on how that, how that went later on. But just to get my, my story out of the way, it was um, uh, while I was doing the national team, I'd kind of outgrown the club team, Innsbruck. Because uh, in Austria, it snows throughout the whole winter. So you can't play in the winter. So, and all the... It's, it's all student level rugby so everyone goes away in the summer so you play about two months in the uh, autumn and about another two months in the spring it amounts to about 10 games a season with huge gaps in between and so it's really difficult to get any momentum going so I found that I was a good place to start my, my, my uh, competitive career but I'd, I'd definitely outgrown it by the time I'd finished with the national team so what I needed to do, and the, and the national team was only four games a year. So what I needed to do is find a, um, a, a good club team that played year-round. Um, there's a few things I wanted, like um, my tick box of things I needed for my next job was, you know, other coaches to learn from. In Austria, I found I was in, in a bit of a vacuum. You know, our nearest away team was a five-hour drive. So, so I've got no real like, other coaches to bounce ideas off of or to, you know, chat with. Um, so I needed, you know, other coaches to work with. I wanted, um, you know, a bigger team. Uh, towards the end of the last season with Innsbruck, I was playing because we'd run out of players. I had the dream of watching you play once. So that was uh, <laughs> one of the highlights of 2018. What's that? Best player ever? Uh, not you. <laughs> Liam Dunseith yeah. Liam Dunseith would be my best player ever uh, not yeah uh, 
it was, it was a difficult time trying to coach and play. So I never, from the start of my career, I never wanted to be a player coach. I find you just do both jobs at fifty percent. So uh, as much as I love playing, but I want to play on my terms, and I'm going to start playing here for like the, the third team, I think, just so I can because they play on separate days, so I can coach on the Saturday and put my all into that, and then on Sunday I can um, I can cut loose and uh, enjoy being scored around the park. Yeah, no, it's cool. No, it's awesome. I mean, I love your story. Obviously, you missed out there. Level two with Jim and Simon Crick at uh, Brighton College, which I remember <laughs> yesterday. Um, and you were also my favourite uh, level three mentee because no one else lived in Innsbruck. So I didn't get to go to uh, on such an amazing trip with any other coach. So uh, I enjoyed that time. That was excellent. What? Um, that's, a, that's an incredible thing as well. Like having. Uh, like, I must say, Russell, like, being uh, mentoring me through my level two and level three, uh, having someone who's willing to come out to Austria and, uh, you know, still carry on that mentorship, even though I'm so far away, and catch up on Skype and emails and let me pester you with uh, ideas and stuff. And uh, that's been real support and uh, something that's really helped me along along the way. So I must say thanks to you, Rusty, for, for doing that. And who else? Who else has done that? Which other coaches have influenced you? Who have you enjoyed hanging with? Liam Dunzeeth is your new best friend, isn't he? Oh, yeah, me and Liam. Uh, every time I come over for Christmas, we, we meet up together. And uh, we say we're going to talk a lot about coaching, but we, we, we have a few beers. And then uh, the, coaching, the coaching talk gets a bit more loose. And then uh, we end up in various bars and whatever in it. Yeah, it can get a bit loose with him, but we... Uh, that's coach development. Yeah, that's that's, yeah, yeah. that's good informal coach. learning. It's informal learning. Who else? Yeah, it's informal learning. Who else have you hung around with? Have you been over to... Did you, have you been over to... Did you get Quinns? Did you get to Irish? Sarries? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was two Christmases ago. You, you hooked me up with... Um, uh, it was really good because I got to see the uh, Quinns Academy on the Thursday, prepping for their Saturday game. That was against... Saracens Academy and then on the Tuesday I got to see the, Sar- I got to see the Saracens Academy yeah. and so I got to see the pre-game and post-game from both teams and that was really really interesting got some real insightful um, uh, knowledge from the guys there and just seeing how they operate is really good seeing how they work in, the, in tandem with each other which I've definitely brought in with um, the coach I'm working with here uh, the coach I'm working with here Keith uh, Keith Muirhead he's a he's a good bloke he, um, he was here already coaching these boys he's a bit of an older chap um but it's good having that uh that dynamic between the two of us because um we don't agree on everything but if we did there'd be no point in having two of us yeah it's it's a good point so how how does that work so how does co-coaching work with 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 you two um on on a training night we'll directly split it so there'll be He'll do half half an hour, I'll do half an hour, then he'll do it, or vice versa. And uh, that's quite cool, because then you can come in and keep that energy up. So in your half, you can come up in, you know, all guns blazing, and you're focused, you're seeing everyone, and you're you're just in the session, you can get right into your into your flow state, and, and you're just taking in all the uh, information that you're getting. Uh, if you're doing like a full hour and a half by yourself, it can 
be a bit draining. You can miss a few things, I think. Yeah. yeah. So it's a nice luxury to have. Um, but also, it's nice when, you know, one of us can go away for, you know, a week here and there, and we, we can cover each other. And there's that, there's that trust there as well, which is really good. And then um, it's really good to, you know, in the week, we're WhatsApping most days about different ideas, different plans, different strategies. Um, I love watching games and doing the analysis. He'll watch it and... Um, you love analysis more than anyone I know. <laughs> tell me about some of the. Tell me about some of the stuff you did with Austria. So, what's some of the stuff you feel had impact? Because I think they would have been. I, I, I think you introduced spreadsheets to um, to Austria, didn't you? I mean, it's, I, I'm, I'm joking with you. However, you would definitely have been deliberate around what type of stuff could we measure, what could we attend to, what questions sure. we need to ask. Well, what I'm doing at the moment, because I, I realise I want to become a full-time professional coach. That's my that's my dream. You know, I want to be able to do this for a living, day in, day out. You know, nine to five, probably longer hours than nine to five, to be honest. But that's what I want to be doing. And I realise that I've not got a background of uh, professional playing. So I believe that I need to have a body of evidence to show, as I'm going up the rungs of the ladder, to say to the, the next coach, this is what I can do. So the analysis of the analysis I'm doing for the boys right now, for uh, the club I'm coaching right now is called Ascrum, the Amsterdam student rugby team. We play in the Air Class, which is basically the Premiership of um, Holland. Yeah. Um, so what I'm what what I do each week now is I get a game video, I analyse it, I get all this data. Uh, I'll, I'll tailor the data depending on what. Uh, game plan was for that for that day. Yeah. So I'll get that data that I wanted. So for for example, last week uh, we were playing Delft, and we wanted to make sure that we um, we was really going to challenge ourselves with uh, under three second rucks. So I went through the video, and I counted how many seconds every single ruck was. <laughs> and, and and then I, once I did that, once I watched the game once, I watched it again. And the second thing we're going to challenge ourselves on was uh, winning the contact. So whether you're tackling or being tackled, if you went forward, they're counted as a positive. If you went backwards, they're counted as a negative. If you just went down, that's a neutral. So I went through and counted every single contact, whether it was a positive, a negative for us, or a neutral. So I was just there, just, again, putting in a Chris spreadsheet. But what, a student isn't going to go through all my spreadsheets, is he? Let's face it. So... What I then do is put all this data into a uh, supercomputer, into a supercomputer, into a su- into my iPad, and then I turn it into a uh, presentation. So I try and get it down to about a ten-slide presentation with um, pie charts and pictures as well. So I can, if I can screenshot some stuff of the game, I can't send videos because they're too big. Um, so I've, I've got to really try and uh, crystallize my ideas into. Um, so many slides that are interesting enough that one of the players will hopefully when he goes and has his toilet break during his uh, uh, during his class at, at school or during his uh, job, he can flick through it while on the toilet going, oh, okay, cool, we scored this. This is the next game plan. Got it. And then hopefully when I get there on Thursday night, I say, right, boys, what's that game plan? And they can all sing it back to me. And about five of them do. Yeah. What uh, and how do you think that's going? Do you think they're engaging with that? Is that something new for them? Is it? 
it's definitely new for them. I don't think they're used to having this much attention on them. Um, one thing I always do before every game is uh, try and get a target from everyone. Uh, for Innsbruck and for Austria, I'd have my iPad out. and I'd so Like an individual, individual target for the game. Absolutely. So I'd, I'd sit down with every single player from 1 to 23 and say, what do you want to achieve today? And then um, some of them got it quite quickly and I was able to give you um, a proper smart target. So it would be specific, measurable, give all that stuff. And they'd give it straight away. They'd say, right, I want to make sure that my personal uh, contact score is plus five at the end of today. Perfect. See you later. Others would need a bit more coaching. Um, so someone would come along and say, um, I want to make all my tackles. You go, okay, but what if you don't? You know, so what's going to, if you miss one tackle in the first five minutes, what's that going to do to your game? So you've got to coach these boys through to a bit more of a, a holistic target or one that's going to maybe help the team a bit more. Yeah. So, um, so before with Austria and Innsbruck, I was doing that. They're Germans. They love that kind of stuff, right? Or they've got the more Germanic sort of thinking. So they love, you know, me putting that data out and typing it out and then I can feed that back to them. That helps with the one-to-one post-game as well. Yeah. Um, but with the Dutch, they're a bit more loosey-goosey, right? They don't really want to be uh, doing that. So um, while they're warming up, while they're doing their um, little prehab stuff before a game, while they're, you know, passing the ball in the circle, I'm coming around to them saying, just, you know, it's face-to-face, you know, what do you want to achieve today? And then uh, I've coached them through that. Some of them are a bit more standoffish with it, but, you know, it's all about persevering and making sure it's a habit. But I come up to them every game and ask them what they want to achieve. And then that means that after the game, when we're having a beer, I can say, how'd you get on with your target? And it's not about achieving it or not achieving it. It's about just reflecting on um, how it went or how having that target affected your game. Because sometimes if you put your, you know, some of these boys, they all want to make their target on defense. You know, I want to make all my tackles. I want to make big hits. You go, what if, you, what if, we, what if we win 90 nil? You're not going to hit your target, but we've had a pretty good game, you know. <laughs> yeah, cool, man. That's good. And how how did that work with the Austrian national team? So, what what was what was your impact there? What do you think? Because I think when I spoke to you at the time, you were you were thinking they'd given you the job to uh, to make sure you lost some games and uh, they could blame blame the uh, blame the crazy man from uh, from from London. Uh, well. It's- I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know what. Um, it, I, I, don't know, I, I guess that might have been a bit of imposter syndrome as well. Yeah. Um, not long, not long in the coaching industry, and here you go, here's a national team. What? Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, and, and again, I just wanted to. If I did do a terrible job of it, I wanted to make sure I had all of my paperwork, all my ducks in line. You know, saying what I did, X, Y, Z, that in all of the research I've done so far, means that, you know, we should have had a positive outcome, or even if the results on the scoreboard wasn't positive, the lads would have had a positive outcome out of that. So, you know, they would have had some development or some learning. Um, I think one thing that was important was we had a um, a tour to kind of bind the team together. So I brought them to my home club, East London, and we played the uh, British police, who were streaks ahead of us in... in in uh, ability, we lost I think seventy something five. So it was a it was a bit of a it was a bit of a drumming. But what we did do on that tour is really get a team 
ethos together and get a buck, you know, get them bound together. That was yeah. in the middle of my, my, my career as, as a national track coach as well. So the first thing I did, we got us all, I got us all into having a meeting and just sit down and define what rugby Austria was, you know, what, what's, how are we going to play, what's going to be our identity and really narrow that down. And then, so we figured out who, what guys were on board with that and then the guys that weren't quite on board with that or had their own ideas, you know, I'm sorry, but we're not gonna we're not gonna change just for these one, two players. So you either come on board with what we're doing or, you know, you're not gonna get your chance this, this season with the national team. And what so, did what did those people do? Um most of them most of them changed their ideas. <laughs> yeah, so you know, uh, it was um they uh they kind of got on board. Yeah, they just got on board with what we were doing, and then um, it was just that ethos around like we're not gonna, we're gonna be here for people who are gonna turn up to these training camps, and uh, we're gonna give these guys opportunities. And I wasn't afraid to give newer, younger lads opportunities. There's guys who've been in the national team year in year out without any question, and then when I came in, I questioned that. You know, that first the first team we put out, uh, I when I got the job, I didn't even have the list of names I didn't have a list of players to choose they just said right you're the national team coach now pick whoever you want so I I had to uh, arrange a training camp where I basically sent an open invite out and so guys who had never been involved with the national team before were rocking up so I said great you know come and get involved and then I picked that first team off the back of who showed up there were guys who just thought they'd get in the team without showing up yeah, there's no, uh, there's no EPS squad in uh, in Austria. No, no, no. no. There's no agreement no. between the Premiership clubs and uh, and England. No, so I um, I put that first team out, and, had, and then you had all of these uh, Austrian Alec dudes who looked at their team sheet and were like, "Jim, what what are you doing? Where's this guy? Where's that guy?" And I was like, "I've never heard of this guy. Why didn't you tell me about this guy? You know, three weeks ago when we were at the training camp." Um, so I, I picked my team. I, I backed myself, and then we went with uh, went uh, had our first opener against uh, Slo- Serbia. Serbia. Serbia was my first. Man, game. Good job, I know. Good job, I can remember, eh? First game, and uh, yeah, we we got the win, which was uh, nice. It was a close one, but we got the win. And then second game was against Cyprus, an away fixture, and. Um, Again, with that same kind of team, we didn't have enough time to pick any sort of new players. Uh, we had a few other issues. Uh, one player dropped out because of an injury, and they wouldn't let me put someone else in. So we went away with 22 players for an international game, which was a bit crazy. Uh, we went away to, you know, world, world record holder Cyprus. Uh, I think they still hold the world record most international back-to-back rugby. Yeah, most consecutive wins. Yeah, and um, yeah, they beat us. Uh, 40 odd to five, I think it was. So um, that was a big learning cur- learning point there. But um, then over the winter, I got to really um, do my homework on who who is Austrian, you know. And I got to figure out a few more players, a couple of guys who have uh, learned their trade in the UK, but actually have some Austrian uh, heritage, which was very helpful. And then when it when we got to the uh, the third game. Uh, which was Slovakia, we were really 
uh, cooking on heat. And there was, was we had that warm up game against the uh, British police. So when we got to the Slovakia game, we were really cooking on gas, and everyone was firing, and we managed to win that game fifty-six uh, nil. It was a nice. real nice. Uh, I had a load of friends come out to visit us uh, to watch that game as well. It was a real good, uh, good fun game. It was great, so so great to have that support as well. Uh, Mum and Dad have come to New York my games as well. In my uh, Simon career, Craig, so. king of king of snow rugby. Yeah, yeah. Also, uh, he's uh, uh, employed him as well. He's uh, running water on for the uh, national team as well. Wow, that's cool. So yeah, pretty uh, pretty key uh, member of the team there. And then poor old mum is had to watch the whole thing in the stands on her own because dad's too busy running the water on. <laughs> nice, nice. You, t- you talk a lot about mistakes and learning. Give me kind of two or three things that, you know, you, th- you feel like you've learned or, you know, advice you'd give to your former self. What's the, what's the big stuff? Uh, being scared. Uh, when I first started, uh, again, I'd done my level two with, you, Rusty, so I'd known all about, you know, gamifying everything, try and make things competitive, try and make sure that everything's fun. And what do you do when you go into your first uh, first training session with a, a comp- you know, a, a competitive side? You get into an Auckland grid, don't you? Obviously. So you do this, eh? Because you're terrified. Because you're terrified. <laughs> so you go back to type. And then, um, <laughs> and then, and then like, I looked back and I was like, Oh, you idiot. <laughs> and then um, I would never, ever do Auckland Grid with my players now. So long as I have control of it, um, everything, uh, any school I want to try and teach, I, learn, I think how can every single player in this exercise be playing the game and making it a game? How can everyone in this environment needs to be able to win or lose at what we're doing and then learn from that? So that that's kind of like how I how I game how I gamify stuff. I think what's the skill I want to, I want the guys to be coming away with, and then how can I make everyone involved have an element of winning and losing in that environment? Be it a small one on one, be it you know ten on ten, the rest of it. How can how can I challenge them to to make sure there's a, there's a way of winning and losing this game? Nice. So not the Auckland grid. Just to confirm, not the Auckland grid. If you, if anyone, to all of your magicians out there, if any one of you sees Jim Crick doing an Auckland grid, please shoot me in the head. Yeah. However, I, I must say, in 1998, we won the European Cup with Bath, and we had Jim Blair as uh, SNC coach, um, top man Jim, uh, and uh, we did more Auckland grids than any other team I know, because <laughs> he was from Auckland. I think he was the king of the Auckland grid. But, uh, How did you win at Auckland grid? Uh, just, well, I think we won by more by putting more and more balls in and adding in more complexity to running around the grid, to passing around it, to lots of, you know, yeah. blindfolded, um, all that type of stuff. So, so, yeah, so cool. So being scared, so actually dealing with your emotions – that's that's yeah. one. What are the learnings? What are the mistakes? Um, I guess being being comfortable with uh, being wrong as well. So sometimes, like you'd be there with your all you know thirty players of training, you'd say something, you re- and then someone will call you out on it being 
being wrong. It's like, you know, maybe uh, you might have got a rule wrong or something. And I say, <laughs> it's a little bit more sharp than you've gone, hang on a minute, mate. And you're like, yeah, you just got to hold your hand up and be like, yeah, I was wrong. You know, um, that's a big thing. It's just be making sure that you're, um, you've got to be open to learning the whole time, you know. If you, um, the minute you think you know it all, that's, that's when you're done. Yeah, so there is no end. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you're going into any sort of environment, if you're like, if you're going into, you know, an under eights coaching camp, or if you're going into the England training camp, you should keep it the same. You should keep the same mind mind frame. Just realise you can learn as much from these guys as as they can from you. Yeah, no, that's good. I enjoyed yeah. that. And, um, and my other a couple of questions we uh, I've had from people. One is about five jobs, four hours sleep a day. I, I don't know anyone that's had more jobs than you alongside your rugby. Uh, give okay. me a, give me a list of jobs you've done in the last kind of few years. Well, well, right now I'm, I'm loving it here in Amsterdam because I've got only the two jobs, and it's really nice. They both complement each other well. So I'm just um, I'm working at a very very nice upmarket gym as a personal trainer uh, and in the evening I'm oh, obviously off coaching rugby uh, but in Austria uh, especially before I got the national team I was really uh, uh, plugging away uh, several different jobs just to get my head above water so um, my, my day would consist of waking up at about 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning uh, cycling half an hour to the uh, uh, depot and I was working at a delivery company so just uh, Basically, unloading trucks, unloading trucks for two and a half hours, non-stop, back-breaking labour. In the freezing cold as well, it was like minus 17 in the mountains. Bloody freezing, uh, miserable, miserable job. Cycling back, earning peanuts as well. I was really um, trying to do the maths in my head of if I was earning enough money to pay for the calories it would take to do the job. At some point, <laughs> And I and I, and I I think that I might have actually been in calorie deficit. <laughs> so I I, I uh, so after that I'd then go home, have a quick shower, have a bit of breakfast, and then I'd start job number two. And that was at a kindergarten. So you know you've been up at, since three thirty in the morning. You've cycled for an hour, collectively for an hour. Uh, you've done heavy lifting two and a half hours, and it's ten a.m. And then you're going into a kindergarten with uh, fifteen screaming kids. Three to six year olds. So wow. you're going there with uh, full of energy, trying to get, uh, trying to keep, uh, keep the keep that rabble under control, keep them entertained. That that was a challenge, but a great job as well. Um, what was your favourite? Uh, what was your favourite bit about that job? Just like the kids come out with the most hilarious things. Like they're just they're just so funny. Like you're. Um, it felt it felt really uh, when when them kids are like when they're learning stuff so quickly. So I, it was a British international school. You had these kids who started there, and day one, you know, they they're born with their eyes out, so they don't want their mum to leave. They're terrified of this big dude with a ginger beard who's in their kindergarten. You know, it just doesn't make any sense. Normally, kindergartens are full of like ladies or you know who, who look a certain way, and then suddenly there's this rugby player who's got you know bloke is in the, the environment that doesn't make sense but uh and then within about a couple of weeks they're 
running in there going, Jim, or Mr. Jimmy, I was in the sky. Mr. Jimmy, I'm going to call you Mr. Jimmy from now on. And then, and, you know, they're all, and then within, you know, a couple of months, they're speaking like really good English from learning from nothing to just, you're just chatting with them. You're not, you're not doing lessons or anything. You're just talking to them about yeah. where they want to talk about. You're just playing with them. And, they, and then they, they learn English so quickly. So we've done an hour of cycling. We've done two and a half hours lifting. We've herded cats for how long? How long were you herding the cats for? Uh, about two hours. Two hours. Then, two hours. then, then, then it'll be lunchtime. And then I'd have another job where I'd be uh, childcare, basically. So I'd go and uh, uh, look after a lad for two hours a day, really, uh, every day. So it was a, it was a single mum. She needed some help um, uh, bringing up her lad, who was a, an eight-year-old boy. Uh, day one of looking after him, he was really, really angry. So, like, kicking, punching, did not want me in the house whatsoever. Um, Eight-year-olds are quite big as well, you know. They like they could put a bit of force behind a punch and a kick. Just he, he really didn't want want me in that environment, and you can understand as well because uh, you know he's the man of the house and he has been for forever. So I come in and then it, it, that dynamic kind of shifts a little bit. But um, yeah, we persevered and it was and then uh, funny enough, like coaching really helped with that as well because uh. Uh, it's really nice, like sort of environment. The, the kid didn't have a, they didn't have TV in the house, which is pretty cool. Uh, so we had to play games, proper games. Nice. Uh, yeah. Uh, he, had a, uh, he loves playing chess, which is great, and he loved playing uh, ping pong. We had a uh, extendable ping pong net that went across the uh, the big dining room table. And then what I'd do is, for uh, so game one, uh, obviously I'd win both like chess and ping pong. So I think. How can I change this game to keep him uh, interested? But also, I didn't want to let him win because that the kids know that. I knew when I was a kid, I was like playing football with my dad, and they pretend to like you know, let a goal in. You know they're doing it. You know you're not <laughs> stupid. So, so just advice to anyone there who's got kids: don't don't let your kids win. Change the game so that you still learn and develop and work hard at trying to win the game, and it works so much better. So, like for the chess, I said right. You take eight pieces, not the king, but you take eight pieces, and then we'll play from there. And then, then I'm trying really hard to That's win this game. That's a good idea. I'm enjoying that. Yeah, I'm trying really, I'm trying really hard to win this game. I'm really thinking. I'm, I'm engaged. He's got the advantage, of course. And then, you know, find a way that the game is actually winnable, fifty-fifty. And then, like as he got better, we just add pieces, add pieces back in. And you see his mind working. So first of all, he took all the powerful pieces, but then he realised the use of like the pawns in it. So then he started to take like just the left half or just the right half. He took all the uh, protection away from the uh, the important pieces, so the king and the queen. Yeah, it was. Uh, uh, I've never thought ever of playing chess like that. I'm calling that Mr. Jimmy's chess game. <laughs> and then like the ping pong was good because like I thought, right, how can I? How can I make this difficult for me? And he'd give him the advantage. So I just said, right, I'm, I'm playing left-handed. So I'd, I learned to play left-handed. But, like, that was really hard to start with. Then I did, like, um, I was only allowed to do open hands. Only, only allowed to do back hands. So that I, then I'd have to, like, really work on my game. And then he's still doing whatever he wants. Or, you know, my feet can't move. So wherever I do, I've got to do it where I am. So then he started to aim for certain parts of the table. Um, I'd stack coins in the corner of the table. And so I'd say, all right, if you can uh, hit them coins, 
then you know you get extra points. So he's aiming for the real triple eight. You're killing this. Yeah? yeah, this is this is class. I I want to come and live with you. <laughs> you need to be my babysitter. The um, yeah, people cleverer than us would would have some some language for that type of stuff, constraints and everything. But that's uh, yeah, mate, that's pretty that's pretty cool. So we've so we've then done that. So we've babysat. We've invented games. We've played Mr. Jimmy's chess game. What yeah. um, what then? Okay, so uh, finished dropped the kid off for uh, his swimming club or his judo club. Then cycled back home for a quick bit of dinner. Get the uh, plan for the evening done. Um, so I'm you know I'm the head coach. I'm the only coach. So I've got an hour and a half. Well, these boys are really keen. They always show up half an hour before to lineouts. So um, it'll be two hours of training. So I uh, walk some dinner down, get the session plan done, then I'm cycling off to training. And so they're starting about 7.30, 8 o'clock, and then, boom, the uh, the dream job starts. <laughs> I've been up since 3.30, uh, probably got some uh, baggage around the eyes, um, more like luggage, I'd say. You're definitely paying extra for this. Yeah. That's that's incredible day. What um, I found that like my energy. I never suffered with having energy loss at, at rugby training. I got there and I was like, right, what are we doing? And I was, I, I felt really switched on. I felt focused because that this is what I'm here for. If that's what I was doing, the other jobs for to keep this dream afloat. So if I turned up at this job and I was putting in half the effort or I was asleep or wasn't quite focused, then it's pointless. I might as well go home. I might as well go home back to England and get my normal job back because if I turned up to that job and I wasn't going full guns blazing, then yeah, the whole the whole thing's a, a, a charade really. So I had to turn up at that, that last job, that, that rugby job with, you know, full, full energy. Full jacket. How did, you, how did you do that? I don't know. <laughs> I, I really don't know. Um, it's just like I'd like the cycle two training. I'd be falling asleep on my bike, but then I'd get there and I'd just feel just like seeing all the lads there, uh, keen, ready to go. Uh, lads will be talking to me with ideas they've got of what they want to try out and how they want training to go, what they want to work on. And I'd be like, yeah, let's do it. And then like a training. Um, as a club, as Infant Rugby Club, we're one entity. And so um, we'd have the girls' team training with us as well. So you have the choice of either separating them, then I'm splitting my attention between two different training sessions happening. And that also means we've got one field. So it means the lads have got less of a field to play on. Or I just involved the girls in the guys' training. And I went for option two because I just wanted to have, I thought the girls could learn from the guys, guys could learn from the girls. Um, Work with playing with that uh, that dynamic. So for yeah, for two and a half years, I coached guys and girls together, which is probably something never done in the UK. But it didn't even seem weird. That that's just that was my first uh, one of my first first sort of like competitive coaching jobs, and um, that's how I had to do things. And was it was it any of the support? So clearly, you were your own analyst. So for example, when you were with Austria, did they have? Other coaches, did they have S&C? Did they have any other... Just press-ups on the side of the pitch? Press-ups nah. um, What was lucky was that, um, again, these lads are really switched on. They're really... 
you know, intelligent lads. We had a few lads there who were, uh, you know, one lad, he's actually starting his own um, company around, Mickey Klappenbach. He, uh, he's getting right into his SNC. He was our prop. And, and he started looking into um, training progress of the lads as well. So the lads are doing it themselves, really. They're, they're, they're pretty um, self, uh, self-organised. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I really like that. Like one of the lads, he, um, he, he was uh, uh, in Bob Slater team, team Austria. That's pretty cool. He got yeah, to take yeah. us down the, uh, down the Bob Slater track. That was pretty sweet. But he, he got some good ideas about, you know, uh, sprint training and that kind of stuff. So we just collaborated our ideas, really. It was in, in that first meeting we had with Austria. We got into together and said, like, well, look, it's just us, you know. Uh, we've, we've got to make this work for ourselves. You know, we can't be relying on other people. We've, we've got to make this, on the field, we've got to make this work. You know, if we, like, like for the... Um, Second uh, half of this that season, um, we uh, we had one training camp before the uh, before the tour to London and before the uh, the two games. The the night before that training camp, it snowed. It snowed about I say about a quarter to half a foot of snow on the uh, astroturf. The things you can't play on astroturf with snow on it because it ruins astroturf. So I sent an email out to the lads the night before saying, lads. If you've got a snow shovel, bring it and come an hour early. We spent the first two hours shoveling snow. Wow. All these national team boys showed up to national team camp shoveling snow. And you, like, a snow shovel's like a foot and a half wide. And you look at the expense of a rugby field and think, right, we've got eight shovels here. We've got to clear this entire field. Good S and C session, though. Great S and C session. Great warm up. The boys were out there. They they showed enough to their, you know, let's say um, they had like a an eighth of the field available, so they could start doing line out training. So they started it off. Then backs did the remainder of the width, so that once they finished that, they could do backs moves while the forwards could continue going all the way to the twenty-two meter line. Now we've got the twenty-two meters to the try line done now we can do some kind of game based training we can do some um, you know equal sided games where we can work on our attack and defence structure um, well you know half uh, we did it in third it, we did the te- we, we split the whole group in a third so one third shoveling the other two thirds are, are getting coached I haven't thought of that mate once again you, you're just out thinking me and, and we just kept that rotating until we had a full half of field available and then um, that was the Saturday done. So it took all, all day with a team around the clock shoveling the snow and we had a half a field available after the Saturday. Sunday morning, same deal. Get there an extra hour early, keep shoveling. By the end of the... Uh, was coaching and shoveling, coaching and shoveling. And then by the end of uh, the afternoon, we had a full field available and we got to have a, uh, a full game on that. Wow. How um, and what about so? A couple of other things that uh, people have asked me about for you. Uh, being away from family, although to be fair, Simon Crick has got his MRs up, hasn't he? he he's already booked out, he's, he's, he's been out here quite already, and he's already booked, he's booked his third trip in March. It's actually been quite cool for your family, I think. They, they, they are asking if I can get to a uh, hotter climax. Yeah, yeah. 
They're all, they are pitching my CV. They're right now, they're right now they're in the Caribbean. Uh, and I think they're, they're actually going there just to push my CV around, all the, uh, all the Caribbean uh, rugby clubs. Mr. Jimmy. Mr. Jimmy's CV. Yeah. And then um, the other uh, about coaching people who perhaps speak a different language to you, although I'm sure, you know, there might be enough that speak English, but have you, have you found that? Yeah. Well, back to your first question, like, living abroad has been bloody tough. Like, I love living away from the UK. I think I, I, I love travelling. And I love, not just travelling, but, like, existing in, in other cultures, you know, living in it, you know, day to day of, like, learning what an Austrian person's like, learning what a Brazilian person's like, learning what a Dutch person's like. I love it. You get to learn a lot about the geography of a country. You get to learn about the people who live it, real their philosophies and how they how they live their lives day to day. That's what I like. So I like to actually embed myself in the culture. Um, uh, Brazil was tough. It was so far away, and um, I was in. Uh, I was, they put me up in a really nice. The Premiership put me up in a in a really nice uh, hotel. I was in a hotel for a year on my own, and it's quite isolated. Yeah, quite lonely. Um, and then in Austria, I had a bit more of a friend's base, but Innsbruck is a quiet town, and I'm a London boy, you know. So I'm used to having my friends from home, like that's one group of friends. Having a group of friends from rugby, having a group of friends from work, and then like just being able to, you know, flip between all of those. Um, and then in Austria, it was just like the team, and that was a group of about. 20 guys, you know, <laughs> who, you know, are not always available. And, you know, they're not, they're not, they're not being your friends from school, you know, they're just, they've been your friends for a year. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, and then like, uh, now I'm into like fourth, fifth year of living abroad. Uh, I'm get, you never really get used to it. You know, I still sort of miss having, you know, just seeing long-term friends face to face. That's, that's yeah. difficult not to do. So, you know, you know, you can watch that each other as much as you like. It's not quite like sitting down and having a pint with your best mate. Yeah. Although, I'm imagining Liam Dunzeeth is definitely coming out to Holland. Oh, yeah. I reckon he, uh, I'm going to look at trying to get him over and do some, uh, some maybe some a backs weekend with us or something. Just to, I want to get him on board with uh, Ashgar, maybe get him over for a weekend. and uh, Get the drone out. Get the drone out. Yeah. Oh, God, I'd love to get the drone out on. Especially, yeah, we play on the uh, National Team Stadium. And it's a uh, beautiful uh, 3G turf. Um, it's a good a stadium, track, isn't it? It's like a stadium. So we can, uh, one thing I love in training is going up to the, uh, walking up into the uh, top tier of the uh, stand. You already have one tier, but like walking up to the top of it and being able to watch our backs moves from a uh, kind of bird's eye view. Yeah. Really get a view of the, what's uh, your perfect like, What's next? what's your perfect job, or what's next? What are you thinking? Right now, I want to spend uh, I want to spend a long time with, here in Amsterdam with Askram because I want to show. First of all, I like it here. I love the team. Askram are a great bunch of guys. Really cool club. Really cool dynamic. I, I like the team. Um, I really want to be successful with this team. And second, uh, secondary to that, I want to show my CV that I'm not a journeyman. You know, because at the moment it looks like I, I flip from place to place and anyone can have an impact for a season, but I want to have an impact for like three to five seasons. And I want to be able to show that I can do that. I can, have, I can have continued success and still bring fresh ideas to an old, you know, outfit, you know. Um, 
but like you know in the distant future i really want to work with um, maybe you know player development working with like you know older you know teenagers younger young adults looking to try and get these guys contracts you know looking at um making good good players great you know getting them into the uh into the professional uh environment if they if there is a job doing that i don't even know if that's a uh uh an actual title but i'd like to work with you know just getting these getting these uh, young kids to a standard that you know professional sides can start taking a look at them no it's cool if you find if you find that job tell me with you um yeah, yeah i'm going to finish with a few one worders i just just real quick ones um yeah. uh family important brazil uh, um, yeah. loving austria passionate holland crazy england home rugby <laughs> important chess D- difficult <laughs> <laughs> i just wanted you to say mate, this. mate honestly like by the end of it we're just to end that, that bit by the end of it we are playing full games of chess all pieces standard standard chess and it was 50-50 and like cuz i'd been up since 3:30 in the morning like he goes, okay, what do you want to do, Ryan? He goes, I want to play chess. I'm like, oh Christ, it's gonna be tough. And like, if I wasn't bringing my absolute A game, he was smashing me. And I mean, like, smashing me in like, like within like 40, 50 moves. Like, it was like, Jimmy, you even are you even on this planet? Come on. Like, so when I was rested, it was a 50-50 game. When I was rested and bringing my A game, it was 50-50. Any one of us could have won. Nice, cool, cool way, cool way to teach chess. I'm enjoying that. I'm, uh, I'm definitely using that one, mate. Look, really appreciate your time. Um, you know how, um, how much I love watching your journey and your adventures, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to come out to Holland in it, hopefully in a couple of months, and, and catch up again. But, uh, mate, thanks, thanks for that, and we'll, uh, we'll catch up with you again soon. I'm sure. Ross, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Thanks for everything you've. Uh you've done for me thus far. Uh, you're a great guy. I'm loving following the uh, Magic Academy as well. And uh, that's uh, it's been a, a definite, definite help for, for my journey. I've been using that many, many a time and it's been, it's got me out of a lot of uh, holes, <laughs> a lot of troughs. And, uh, and yeah, that's, that's been vital to, to my career so far. So yeah, I've got to say a big thanks to that, Rusty. Cool. Mate, have an awesome day. Take it easy, buddy. Cheers, pal, bye. Uh, Bye-bye.